The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Our guest today is Jim Lanzone. He's the CEO of Tinder and someone who I've known for quite some time, dating back to his days running CBS Interactive. Jim, welcome to the show. Always great to be here. Great having you. You've made quite a move going from a content company to a dating app. Your personal story is interesting, but I first want to ask you, who are your users when it comes to Tinder? Is it Gen Z? Is it millennials? Is it older folks? Who's using this app? Because it originally started, you know, it started my generation with millennials, but, you know, I imagine the young kids want to date as well. So who's using it? Well, there's definitely been a generational shift. I mean, Tinder started in August, 2012. uh, And so that was right in the heart of millennials. Mm-hmm. There's definitely been a gen- generational shift where Gen Z has made it, it their own <laughs> over the past couple of years. Uh, and so, you know, about half the user base is probably Gen Z at this point. But, you know, one of the, and I'm still relatively new, so I, you know, don't take credit for this, but Tinder is pretty much number one in every age group. Um, and, you know, even, even Gen X and older. Uh, it, it also depends by country because we're, you know, we operate in 190 countries. We're number one, I think, in over 115 countries. And in mm. some of those, like India, Japan, it's big, but there's a little bit of a nuanced you know, difference. It's, it's a little more matrimony driven, uh, whereas the trend in many, in many other places is, is less so. So it, it kind of depends. You guys are in 190 countries? Yeah, we basically operate everywhere. Wow. Except, I mean, not, not with like an office, but like we're yeah. available everywhere except like North Korea and Iran. And I was going to ask, where are you banned? So those two countries, I see. I think we were banned banned in Pakistan too, actually. Are people in those three countries still using Tinder, but just like having a VPN? Like contraband? Yeah. Like, I think there are people in various countries like that who try to sneak Uh, in. I see. People are going to want to date. You know, that's That's just how it goes. That's right. Uh, You have food, shelter, and I think we're next. Yes, that's right. So when it comes to generations, I mean, obviously all generations date a little bit differently. But from my understanding, the breakdown between the way that millennials date and Gen Z dates or even uses your platform is pretty interesting. So can you share a little bit in terms of the distinctions between millennial and Gen Z? And and I imagine those two are your your biggest group of users. I think I heard you on a previous podcast where like, Gen Z is what 50% of your user base or something like that. So yeah, yeah, if you could give us like a little sense as to like what the numbers are and then the differences in behaviors. Um, Yeah. I mean, exact numbers are always secondary research. So it's, it's a little hard to understand um, percentage of that generation, but the, I mean, I actually answered in two ways. One is Gen Z has these fundamental differences but what we're seeing is that everyone is starting to share those differences coming out of COVID, or they actually started to happen during COVID, uh, which I see. is kind of best explained as what I would call less transactional, less of a hurry to kind of get to the date and figure out you know, what's happening there and making it a little bit more about the journey than the destination is how, how I would put it. Uh, that's definitely been a, a generational shift pre-COVID for Gen Z, where it's more about getting to know somebody uh, first before deciding if there is that spark. Uh, and and then, you know, again, what happened with COVID was at first nobody could go anywhere. And so you were forced into this virtual world. Things like video chat became important during that time where prior to COVID, kind of like Zoom or, you know, WebEx or Blue Jeans, like, nope, we had them, but people weren't using them. And it was kind of true of video chat as well on dating apps. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that if somebody asked somebody else to video chat before the pandemic that they met on a dating app, they would be viewed as a creep or a weirdo. 
I don't know about creepy. I just think people were like, what? <laughs> why, would yeah. I do, why would I do that? Right. And it was true in the work world. I mean, we would do phone calls. We would do video calls with like six people in a room. You would do anything except do a video, you know, like we wound up all doing right. during COVID. So, so that became, um, I think, a trend for almost every age group. And what we would see is, you know, remember last summer, things opened up a little bit. But instead of kind of going back to, hey, let's go meet for a drink and let's get to this, it was like, hey, let's go hiking. Or we saw, mm-hmm. you know, I think you've heard me say we, did, we had a 3x increase in mentions of roller skating. And people, people just want to do activities together to get to know each other. Mm. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot about roller skating. I feel like roller skating has had the biggest unheralded pandemic boom out of any recreational activity. If you go to Santa Monica Beach, it's amazing is to that see that rollerblading is still a thing. <laughs> who knew, who yeah, knew yeah. That, but. I recently, after a long time now, after being vaccinated, went to the um, Church of Eight Wheels in San Francisco. Have you heard of it? No. It's an old uh, church that's been converted into a disco roller derby. I, I think that's a topic for another uh, or a disco roller skating rink. So first of all, yeah, my wife would be all over that. It's pretty cool. I had a disco bag, <laughs> disco ball in the middle of the church and, you know, stained glass windows, but obviously it's no longer in use. It was a true, like, Oh, this is a real San Francisco experience. Yeah, I'm totally sure. radical. Park. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Put roller skating aside for a moment. So they went more activity based. Yeah. So look, so the, I think those are the, those are the, the two major mm-hmm. trends there. And, you know, that dovetailed with me coming in here and, and everything I love to do is product innovation and product development and, and getting to know the user base right away. It definitely led to a lot of the things that we're starting to launch on Tinder. Yeah. So well, what are you starting to launch? Maybe we go there. <laughs> well, I'll give you the quick version. The quick version, the, the big one is uh, we're launching video, which mm-hmm. is something So video that, and profiles. Video and profiles. And and I do think that's an important nuance because we're not uh, – some people have said, oh, is that to compete with social media? Absolutely not. I think it's a 180 from social media. The mm. point on Tinder is not to broadcast yourself or to attract followers or for us to attract attention to, to monetize through advertising. You know, we're a subscription-based service trying to pro- provide value. But, you know, people are three-dimensional. They're not one-dimensional. It's not just about a photo and a little bio. And – Definitely is about is, is time that we gave people the tools to do that. And so, yeah, the way we're doing it is letting people upload video straight out of their photo library. We have an editing tool that lets you edit it down um, and it will show up in the Tinder card stack, uh, which is how you swipe through Tinder for those who don't use mm-hmm. it. And, it'll, you know, videos will show up seamlessly right alongside uh, photos. Yeah. So you're not going to make it mandatory that someone puts a video, but if they want to use Vindi- a video as their profile picture, they can. That's right. And that way it's also seamless by right. generation, right? You would imagine Gen yep. Z is going to do a lot of it and older people may be more hesitant to, uh, to do yeah. so, but either way they'll see it and that will kind of advertise it to other users within, within the app. Right. What else do you have cooking? Uh, so down that pathway of roller skating and, and video chat and get to know you, uh, you know, we saw that it wasn't just about swipe left, swipe right. What they're really saying is swipe maybe or swipe possibly and uh-huh. want, want to find out more about other people and they want to share experiences with them as a way to do that. But they're, they're very open to doing that virtually uh, and not just offline. So what we're doing is we're launching an explore tab or hub within the app that will be the home to all kinds of different activities to do together, icebreakers to participate in together uh, and will become this very robust part of Tinder Again, getting beyond the the you know the one dimensional swipe left, swipe mm-hmm. right, chat and meet, uh, and giving people all these you know richer ways to authentically express who they are and then get to know other people. Um, and so, one example of that is another thing we're launching. This one's called Hot Takes, which is a pre match. Uh, kind of, it's almost speed dating, but in a way. But it's there are questions that we will present to you. And then we're going to match you with somebody else who chose that same topic. And then uh, for someone who chose the same answer as you throw you then into a chat, you have a 30 second countdown to see if mm-hmm. there's a match and then you decide whether to match or not. And that's on the back of one we did last month called vibes, which is kind of similar, which over 10 million people use. It was appointment viewing. It was actually, you had to you know go online at that time of that event, 10 million people did it. 
And then last year we had Swipe Night, which over 20 million people viewed, which was like a choose your own adventure uh, TV show, essentially within Tinder, that increased matches 26%. So people were really into this idea of having some activity to do together to figure out whether there's a spark, not just do it based on a photo and a bio. So, and I've I've been wrong about tech product decisions a lot throughout my career, as you could probably attest if you've read stuff that I've written. Um, I'm a little skeptical of the fact that this is going to be something that lasts outside of the pandemic. I think that when people can worry about getting, uh, you know, getting the coronavirus from others in real life, then, you know, going on all these adventures sounds pretty appealing. But when life returns to quote unquote normal, and you are able to just go meet somebody at a bar because they're open and you don't need to go in with a mask. Uh, then potentially, and, and yeah, and you don't have to wait for warm weather to meet someone, then potentially things just revert back to normal. So I'm curious from yeah. your perspective, you know, these are obviously big changes to the product. What about people's behavior? Uh, and you said this starts with Gen Z, so maybe we can think about them. What about yeah. people's behavior leads you to believe that this is going to be a permanent change and not just something that, you know, felt like a fun thing to do during the pandemic, but no one really wants to spend time trying to meet people in the digital world and hang out with them when they can actually go out and be outside or inside in a bar or restaurant together. Well, there's there's a reason that Tinder, I mean, if you think about the history of the internet, it's very rare that you've had product market fit at a level that Tinder had. Uber, I mean, there's very few that were at that level. And one of the reasons Uh, is- Jim, let me tell you, my, uh, I remember hearing the first time about Tinder, my room, I was living in Brooklyn at the time. My roommate, I'd never seen his eyes light up about this because he came out. He's like, dude, there, you know, this guy from Brooklyn, dude, there's this app. You got to hear about it, you know, and it's just like all you do is swipe. It was a, a revolution and it quickly picked up and turned, I think, probably into the world's most prominent dating app. But OK, sorry. It didn't definitely turned into that. Uh, but if you think about, um, you know, what happened over those the, the last 10 years is you've gone from online dating uh, being 5% uh, of creating 5% of relationships to it's now pre-pandemic was already over 40% of relationships were being started online. Uh, And it's by far the number one way. The second way, uh, the most common way people meet is through friends. Uh, We know the work world's going away as a place that people should be meeting people to date. Uh, And you you think about all the different places in life. I mean, a bar was one of the most inefficient ways to meet somebody, uh, you know, unless you're the guy, your friend with that accent. Sounds like he's somebody who would be oh, a night, night at Roxbury. That's uh, right. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, look, online dating had already replaced that. So if you talk yeah. about what was normal before the pandemic, online dating was already number one. And it's yeah. not just for relationships, also for marriages, right? And there's actually, it's one of the most unsung thing about Tinder is, it, there's a chance it's the number one source of marriages, which is odd. It's not always how people think about Tinder. But I think one of the great things about Tinder is it's not judgmental about the outcome. It could be right. for the person who wants to meet someone in the bar. It could be someone who wants to get married. Our job is to match you with the right person. And uh, and so that is what we do. Now, people, especially Gen Z, as we talked about, what's normal for them pre-pandemic was already slowing things down, getting to know people. And virtual relationships being extremely authentic to them, mm. and, and you know, different than what that could be in a, a gaming environment, for instance, where they'll hang out. Well, I heard a stat recently where in Fortnite, people actually spend more time uh, in their own development area where they can just kind of chill with their friends as their avatars, yeah. and actually in the battle royale mode. And so, if you think about that, actually, when it comes to Tinder, if you guys can build an experience that resembles that where people feel normal meeting each other online and hanging out, then potentially you take advantage of that trend. Is that, that's is that right. where you're going with this? hundred That's hundred percent where we're going. But again, I think it's super important to draw the distinction that unlike probably any other type of app, our job is not to keep them here. Hmm. We're, do, we're building those experiences in service of connecting you with the right person. And again, not just to go play tennis, like not for friendship. There are other apps for that. Ours is for that spark, right? That the Tinder gets its name from. And, you know, that's why we're doing it. And so I, I do think that's extremely valid. And it was already headed that way. 
like with a lot of things, I came out of streaming most most recently. Streaming was already the trend. COVID accelerated it, right? Remote work was probably the trend and, and COVID accelerated it. So, you know, again, I don't think we're going back, but but Tinder, like, like let's say like Uber, where you're connecting to get a ride in the real world, you know, Tinder has a real world component where we leave you at the, you know, the time at which you're going to decide to go meet up in real life. Mm-hmm. And we've done our job up to that point uh, in, in many ways. So, uh, so I, I don't think the real world coming back slows dating down or online dating down. I think that they work together and that has just changed a little bit. Right. So I go back to my question that I asked earlier, which is if coming back to normal doesn't slow anything down, uh, then, you know, and I, I understand there's a need to do product innovation and keep people engaged in the app. But why do you think, because it seems like the experiences that you're talking about, especially, um, you know, these uh, hot, what are they called? Hot takes or yep. it seems like those will actually keep people in the app longer. I, and I guess well, like, only, I'm curious, like, yeah. I just want to just finish this thought. Why does it, you know, why is that going to, um, why do you think that will take off as opposed to the, you know, excuse the expression, but like quick and and dirty way that people would use Tinder beforehand. Well, work backwards. I think the majority of people have a hard time. I mean, I think there's more than more more than one thing. One is to your point. Yeah. Um, you uh, may feel very comfortable talking to strangers. A lot of other people aren't, mm. and they, and they would love, especially young people, they would love to have a way to have icebreakers or to have an activity. Think about it another way. Uh, in real life going to a movie or a concert and then going to get a drink versus just going to get a drink. You're like, Hey, who are you? (laughs) Right. You have something to talk about. But in in the case of swipe night, going back, you know, a year plus, uh, it was, Hey, we both chose the same pathway through. And what swipe night is this choose your adventure game. Yeah. I mean, for anyone, you know, I don't know how many people listening saw the Bandersnatch episode of black mirror where Mm -hmm. it was the choose your adventure episode. Yeah, this was a. I, t- I say this coming out of the TV industry, a way better version of that. <laughs> they, okay. they should have been cool. studying what Tinder did, uh, and yeah. I wasn't here for it, so I'm not taking credit for it. But it it was really cool, and you would wind up with a series of decisions that you made along your decision tree, and then you'd wind up with a certain ending, and so you would get right. matched up with people who chose some of those same pathways. And it would make people pissed. They'd be like, how would you defend Zane on that Ah. thing that he did? Or, you know, you wound up in this same outcome and that drew that, that caused a 26%. That's huge increase in matches. You know, it can, it's interesting because, um, you know, we talk about the pandemic. What's the pandemic? How's pandemic going to change behavior? I don't know if this is going to fade away, but I've definitely heard from lots of people that, they're going to be more selective in terms of who they spend their time with after this. And I think before there was a feeling that life is just going to be unlimited, especially among young people. I think people have a much better sense of their own mortality now and don't want to, you know, just go out on a date with anyone. And if these experiences can create deeper interactions with people, then potentially you get to a place where you're then serving that need. Does that sound right to you? Hundred um, percent. Yeah. So I won't just restate what you said, but to add to it, I also think what's important to people is, you know, the the idea that or the hope that they find somebody awesome who is unexpected. And dating apps have been pushing this. I mean, you know, if you look at the increase in interracial marriages that have happened because of dating apps and people just getting outside of their normal social circle or bar scene in Brooklyn or their friends, you know, uh, to right. meet someone new and different from a different culture or just who they didn't you know, know before. And another version of that is if you really get to know somebody could be within our app and different experiences we give you or, you know, later, you're going to increase your chances of, of finding the right person, you know, instead of just going off your assumptions at the beginning. So I think that's another reason people are are really leaning into that that part of these things. And we need to give, you know, again, we're not creating these in the hopes that people use them. We're doing it to respond to what we're seeing and what they, what they need. Yep. All right, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and ask you a few more questions about uh, people on Tinder's behavior. And then maybe we go to the business side of sure. this thing. 
Uh, so let's take a break. We'll be back right here on Big Technology Podcast with Jim Lanzone. He's the CEO of Tinder. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with Jim Lenzone. Good guy. CEO of Tinder. <laughs> he and I know each other for a while. Jim, I think the first time we met was at a was at Levi Stadium where the 49ers play. There was a panel about, uh, I don't know what it was, like fantasy football or something like that. I think, was it Do you remember Super this? Bowl was coming? Some, oh, the Super Bowl a- was in the Bay Area. And um, I, we, there was a fun... Uh, discussion. It's actually interesting, real life and virtual life and how they they blend. That was part of the discussion. And there was a moment where uh, I asked the group, is esports the same as in real life sports? And everyone had their own. What would, do you remember what your answer to that is? Or what would you say today? Yeah, I'd say the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. In the middle. You know? Yeah. So we uh, had... We had- where, where, because I remember talking to, you know, like, I think one of the differences from a spectator point of view, right? And I don't think there's a huge difference from a, a gamer point of view. The athlete is the athlete. And I would say that about chess, you know, as well. Yeah. It's gone crazy during the pandemic because probably because of Queen's Gambit. But mm-hmm. um, I think the spectator side is, is, is different, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, it's not quite as broad, probably. Well, they, the, the thing that I think that's interesting, we had like the head of operations at EA up there who was talking about how, you know, the audience is growing and eventually will exceed that of regular sports. And I, th- I thought that was interesting, but anyway, by, so by I niche though, probably, I mean, yeah. meaning like you get there right. in a different way, I would assume. Yeah. And so my perspective is that esports isn't, isn't anything close to the actual game. And, uh, we had a, a younger, uh, former 49er player who was up there who was like, esports is sports, no difference between a person playing a video game and what I do professionally. And then Lynn Swan, the, the Hall of Fame uh, wide receiver. School, by the way. Right. Okay. Yeah, he was in the audience. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder what Lynn Swan has to say. And Lynn uh, gave me this look and then walked out of the room. And I was like, I just pissed off Lynn Swan, future <laughs> Hall of Fame, or not even future Hall of Fame wide receiver. He comes back in the room with a folding chair and I'm like, oh, it's about to get interesting. He puts the chair on the stage and he goes, they're not athletes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, we have an answer. So anyway, that was a fun first interaction. I, uh, I'm glad we, I'm glad I made it through. I thought I was in some trouble there. Okay. So I want to ask you, um, let's get back to, to Tinder. Um, interesting hearing about these experiences i like the term swipe maybe uh or people trying to get to know each other beforehand um you mentioned 10, i think you've mentioned before 10 percent of marriages in the u.s might be traced back to tinder you know i had, had a conversation with your predecessor who after years of having tinder deny the fact that it was a hookup app had basically said this is a hookup app so i'm kind of curious like what your perspective is on you know, is it a hookup app? Is it a relationship app? Is it something in the middle? I have some like maybe sociological or uh, views of that where I actually think this goes back to the product market fit. Mm -hmm. I think when Tinder hit the scene, Mm -hmm. you know, which I remember, I knew the founders, I'd worked at IC. I pretty much knew everybody involved in the creation of Tinder. And, you know, I'm close to the people at Benchmark and who had gotten involved later too. The VC firm that funded. You know, I think that the the innovation, um, the innovations of uh, of double opt-in and swiping and all these things were so powerful and and that there was an there was more to glean from that. And I don't think it was purely superficial. I just mm-hmm. think it was another form of hitting the senses than what had been for 50 years before that of of you know singles ads and newspapers leading up to match.com and all the others which is i like to go for long walks on the beach you know <laughs> descriptions of yourself and so yeah. <laughs> and, and it was geolocated and so that um 
So what happened in, in my view is, is that I just think the product market fit was so significant it led to hookups mm-hmm. because that's totally valid that, oh, I like this person. I'm going to go meet them. And then that would happen. Um, and, it, you know, so I think at its core, what Tinder is great at is matching people. And uh, what's interesting is that's now led to it being also number one for creating relationships. I think we hit the entire spectrum. And by the way, you know, people who are really into each other on night one could wind up getting married. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's the whole thing. I yeah. think that's our job. So I actually think, believe it or not, I actually think the hookup thing is more of a titillating question to people, um, especially older people. I don't think that that's uh-huh. uh, thought of as much by Gen Z. And they just like to giggle around that subject matter. But the truth is, and if you think about it another way, like why is it even relevant? Connecting people is what's relevant. They take it where yep. they want to take it. And everything can happen. I mean, there was an article last week in BuzzFeed. The woman reviewed four hook, what she called hookup apps, which included us, Bumble, Hinge, mm-hmm. I think plenty of fish. The comment section was filled with people saying that they'd met their significant other or partner on Tinder. Yeah. Michelle Obama last year said, don't, if you want to find, you know, get married, get off Tinder. And she got, you know, I love Michelle Obama, but she got hammered with the world reacting yeah. to that. So I, I think either way, our business model stays the same. And our job is to make a great connection and you take it where you want to take it. Yeah. I, I've always thought that people who call Tinder a hookup app um, are off base. And that you're right. Like, I mean, most relationships in general, you know, they don't start with someone saying, this is going to be the person I marry and they develop. And so why not online as well? It seems like it mirrors the behavior that we have. And you, it's interesting that you uh, point out that like, you know, this is something that comes from, you know, potentially older people. Mm. Uh, and I'm curious what you make of there's like a whole generation of folks. And this was just on a podcast that you did with Howard Lindzen, folks who are like, yo, if I was on Tinder, I would have crushed it. You know, and they talk about yeah. there's there maybe there's a little bit of jealousy of you know from people who have who are beyond uh you know the age or whatever the life state life station where they would use the app who are who want to denigrate it and just call it a hookup app so curious it's just more efficient that. and effective it, it it is yeah you know maybe the difference between having the ability to have groceries delivered right to your house or a car brought right to you versus just hoping you wave your hand mm-hmm. out and see what happens. Um, it just, uh, it really works at the end of the day. It really just works. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask you a little bit about, um, behavior and, and makeup on that, uh, makeup of the, the demographics. So I've heard you say that, um, there's far more men than women on the app. Are you able to share that breakdown? On all dating apps. Yeah. Okay. I, I, every, every single one. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, even, you know, Bumble, my understanding is that they the percentage of women is, is still in the 30%. Not, it's not 30, but it's in the thirties. Yeah. So yours it may is be, too. it's probably a bit higher than ours. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, there's obviously just by law of numbers, there are more women on, on Tinder. They just have a higher percentage, but, um, right. either way, it's a lower percentage than you would think. It's no, it's not 50, 50. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm still diving in all the reasons for that. And I I, mm-hmm. I think it's a big opportunity for us in terms of how do you solve this for for women in a really good way? It's the same way that I think there are there's a lot we can do for LGBTQ plus and there's you know the different demographics. Yeah. Another thing that I've heard is that so wait, just to confirm, so your numbers are like thirty percent. No, no, no. It's are, it's it's women uh, are thirty in the thirties. Men yeah, are in the 60%. That's basically true for almost yeah. every app. Now that's not true. That's United States. Like if you, you know, if you go to Scandinavia, it's closer to 50-50. If you go to India, it's lower than than 65-35 really? or whatever the actual number is. I don't I don't I can't remember yeah. the exact yeah. number, but it's called in that range. Uh and also true in, in Asia, where you know, which is our, our, our largest growth markets right now are in Asia. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just think that's a societal thing and it's it's being solved by the younger generation just has fewer hangups about this. But, right. um, but, yeah, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. That was an interesting thing to me that kind of jumped out and I was like, oh, I'm curious what um, Jim thinks about this. Another thing that I've heard, this didn't come from you guys or maybe it did. I don't really remember. Is that like five or 10 percent of the men on the platform get like 90 percent of the attention or the interest? 
don't think that's anywhere close to true. And I think that mm. sounds like it's an old data point. Um, okay. So yeah, I don't believe that that's true. So you, so it's fairly evenly spread out people's interest in each other. So the, the marketplace is working essentially. If, if you think about it, we have a hundred marketplaces you have, uh-huh. um, you know what I mean? Like just every, every different same sex community um, where, mm-hmm. Um, by the way, even a, a way higher percentage than for uh, hetero couples met online. Mm-hmm. It's that's more like seventy yeah. percent. Yeah. By the way, and I also think it's interesting. You've probably seen this stat too that people who meet through these apps, uh, generally speaking, have longer and happier relationships. And I, I actually think the more I'm, I spend more time I spend with it, the more I understand why. You know, which is it's not just some happenstance meeting or a meeting of convenience from your you know, your job or your school. It's a pretty, pretty intentional match with somebody. Yeah, definitely. Are, 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 are Gen Z and millennials dating each other or do they generally stick to their demographic? I mean, I think it depends what age range people said. I mean, I would say for the most part, people are probably within their age, age range. One thing that I heard is that Gen Z is, um, the millennials put, and this I think came from your team, millennials put a lot of care into their profiles and make sure they have the perfect shot where a Gen Z is less that, that is, intentional. Again, I'm, I'm generalizing here, obviously, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, but of course. Hey. I would yeah. say, I would argue that that is very far from true. Really? Okay. Meaning mm-hmm. everybody puts a ton of work into that profile. Okay. Yeah. Which if you think about it, is one reason why we need to expand the number of things that you're able to do to express yourself versus yeah. just have the bio and just have a few photos, right? Totally. By the way, just to also point, we're also launching, which I didn't mention earlier, within our Explore uh, tab, the ability to basically take the steering wheel a little bit and decide, um, you know, uh, which category you want to, you know, essentially swipe through at any given time. So you can go Mm -hmm. into pet mode and just go through people who also like dogs. You can go through just your university. You can go through people just who are also thrill seekers like you are if mm. you're in the you know, certain activities. Um, there's actually a lot of those that are going to be launched uh, with that part of the, uh, the app. Now, once you get in there, it's still lean back and we're going to still, you know, use our technology to match you, but it just gives, gives people a little bit more control uh, over the Tinder experience, which they've said they want as well. Yeah. It matters to them. I think is what the underlying thing is here. For yeah. sure. So, okay. So I was off on that one. We had a question uh, on Twitter, actually, along these lines. Someone asked, um, oh, what is the percentage of people that end up having a conversation after matching? I don't know if you can share this. I'm sure it's proprietary, but I'm going to ask you anyways. They said that they've heard from a competitor that only 7% of people actually chat after matching. Is that true? Sounds like that's a competitor. (laughs) (laughs) No, obviously the number is way higher. And what yeah. I, I will give you a couple interesting stats, which is that during COVID, uh, the number of messages increased by 20 percentage points higher than baseline. Like, so not okay. just in terms of going with the user growth, but 20 right. points over that. The number of messages within or the length of those conversations increased 32%. Uh, okay. So basically, so the, people- the trend has been longer, more, and that continued even during uh, the first summer of love, which was last summer. <laughs> okay. Uh, it wasn't just during during shutdown. Yeah, we'll see what happens in, in this summer of love. It should be interesting. But it makes sense, yeah. If, yeah, Fred, Wil- Fred Wilson just called it analog summer today. And uh, I like that. In his analog thing, he was, he was thinking everything's going back analog. <laughs> yeah, I think there will be some things that will will, will stay. Yeah. We had another question. Do you think the addition of uh, face, face-to-face video messaging, so people going on FaceTime either through your app or on you know, Facebook Messenger or Apple, is that going to change the likelihood that they're going to meet offline? Do you have any thoughts on that one? Increase the likelihood they'll meet offline because you video chatted? I guess the question is, are people going to be... Um, less eager to meet offline if they're, if they video chat. Again, I, I would actually argue that this question is likely generational because if you uh, talk to any okay. younger, younger Gen Z, especially, right. They don't use the phone. What? Uh, 
They use FaceTime only. Ah, okay. So they're not, oh, they're not like talking. They're using the phone, but they're using it to video chat. Yep. Ah, okay. (laughs) So this is the trend no matter what. Yeah. And, and, and again, they, it's also the trend that, that these kids have entire relationships virtually over FaceTime before they even meet in real life with Mm. not just romantically, like with friends. Uh, Yeah. And that happened during lockdown too, that, that, that really like mushroomed as a trend. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, Essentially, the way I look at it is the ultimate thing is always going to be able to meet in person. I mean, I'm sure right. as we head towards this VR world and, yeah. you know, an avatar world. Not even VR, like even in the gaming world, like I was talking about with the with the Fortnite stuff. In the gaming world, there's going to be real relationships. I mean, my friend's son yeah. was telling me that his two best friends and this kid's 14 are 19 mm-hmm. and 25. And he's only ever talked to them on Discord. Holy <laughs> Those are his best friends. That's <laughs> wild. And I think it's totally the trend that you're going to have virtual relationships too. At the end of the day, there's going to be the offline component. We do the baton pass at that point. Yeah. So you have said that you've learned a lot from your kids' friends about what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things I love to ask people who work as tech executives um, is whether they allow their kids to use the products that they work on. Yeah. Have you thought about whether you're going to let your kids use Tinder? Well, see, that's a compliment because you're assuming my kids are younger than they are. I have a I have a 20 year old who just finished his uh, sophomore year of college, and I have a yeah. 18 year old uh, daughter. Uh, and my son is straight. My daughter is gay, and they are both on Tinder uh, mm. using it absolutely. And and to be honest, a it's an inspirational to me to to make it better in all kinds yeah. of ways, better, safer, just all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it really, you know, again, I think for people who don't have kids or didn't meet that way, it's why people are defending that they met this way. Uh, I actually feel great about them using it at this point, you know, yeah. and, and I see my, my, my kids friends on it as well. Um, you know, my son's friend just took a girl on to, he met, he matched with her and she wanted to take him to an Oakland A's baseball game. And she almost got in a fight at the game. Nice. It's a great first <laughs> date. Other fans. I'm like, wow. That's Interesting match. That's not this guy's. Uh, he's not a fighter. Um, right. But, well, sometimes uh, it's good to have one person in the relationship, throw the punches. So. So yes, I'm absolutely having them use it. It was a lot easier when I was doing streaming and they were just watching That's Star right. Trek, you know? Did you have to um, sit them down and be like, all right, kids, I got to tell you about this company that I'm thinking about working at. Oh, you and don't then, think that kids that age know what Tinder is? They know No, I'm Tinder sure is. they knew what it was. <laughs> but like when you say, hey, this is the company that I'm thinking about running, what was that discussion like? Yeah, they think it's super cool. That was cool. Yeah. So does my, my wife thinks it's super cool. You know, I've been married 23 years and we, I, yeah. uh, and, you know, look, and there's been a few, yeah, so my wife is super supportive. My kids think it's awesome. Their friends think it's even more awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah, you became the cool dad pretty quick. It's just one of those iconic internet internet brands, you know, and it's, right. it means something. It's not a boring mm-hmm. old brand. At the same time, there's so much that hadn't been done with Tinder. Mm-hmm. You know, just from, you've, you've been, you know, you've used it in the past. Like, you know, it's not... Uh, you know, it still in many ways resembles the same product it was years ago. Yeah. There's a, but what I've found, and it's been a little surprising, is there's been way more ability to innovate than I even expected coming in. And that really accelerated the past few months to where I now have a multi-year product roadmap. We're going to have to make some Sophie's choices if we have any more good ideas. Wow. Okay. Uh, so we're already at that, at that stage. Great. Share, share the roadmap with us. By the way, I'll also tell you, <laughs> the, uh, the employees of Tinder most of whom are mm-hmm. young, um, mm-hmm. you know, their twenties and early thirties and live in LA and, and Palo Alto, uh, are just so passionate about the mission, you know, to them, yeah. there's, there's also no giggling about Tinder. It's, it's real. And, uh, whether they're on the, the user experience team or they're on the trust and safety team, I mean, they, they're in it to win it. They, they, they really oh, are yeah. passionate about it. I mean, I've covered the company for many years at this point, uh, because I came into Buzzfeed writing about uh, social media and communications, Tinder and yeah. the dating apps fell right into that bucket. And I've spent time with the employees and you're right. No joke. Um, a lot of them have become very successful by working so hard and, and turning it into what it is today. So 
All right, when we come back, let's talk. Now we, we just segued into it kind of perfectly. Let's talk about the business, if that's cool with you. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we do that when we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with Jim Lenzo, CEO of Tinder. Will AI improve our lives or exterminate the species? What would it take to abolish poverty? Are you eating enough fermented foods? These are some of the questions we've tackled recently on The Next Big Idea. I'm Rufus Griscom, and every week I sit down with the world's leading thinkers for in-depth conversations that will help you live, work, and play smarter. Follow The Next Big Idea wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here for one last final segment of the Big Technology Podcast. Where's the time gone? Where was Tinder CEO Jim Lanzone? Jim, it's great having you. Thanks again for making the time for me. I appreciate you joining on the show. Absolutely. So business-wise, I'm curious from your perspective, what is the competitive landscape that Tinder plays in? Who are your main competitors? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Look, I'd say that there's been interesting segmentation of the market, right? Um, In one way, you know, Bumble, obviously the team there came out of Tinder really has been around Mm -hmm. almost as long. They've been around only 18 months less time than Tinder. So we've always been competing with Bumble's positioning, which is its own interesting carve off of Tinder because we also have always let women make the first move. They don't only get to make the first move. Uh, And, uh, and that's become their, their marketing positioning. But from a, from a product point of view, um, you know, I just objectively coming into this category, say there's, there's a lot in common between the two apps um, probably more room to differentiate in the future. Um, you know, Hinge, which, mm. which uh, is Matt a really Jones. great up-and-comer, and Justin's a great entrepreneur, and we become close because we're both part of Match mm-hmm. Group, uh, super talented. And, you know, theirs is designed to be deleted, is, is absolutely focused on, you know, I like to say that we're, we're for any kind of relationship and very fluid and non-judgmental about what that could mean. Uh, you know, they're very dedicated towards a much more... Uh, you know, serious, serious relationship is, is what yeah. they're, they're for, um, which, you know, Bumble actually has moved the other way and they, they have advertising in, in Europe now that says if just for one night or a lifetime. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> literal ad, Interesting. We've never yeah. done. Um, right. And, you know, and then there's also, uh, you know, by, by country, you know, Bumble also owns Badu, which actually has more subscribers than Bumble does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bumble proper does. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, within Mashup, you see, uh, different ones for different, um, demographics or, uh, you know, uh, like BLK for the black community, Chispa for the Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting to see kind of how that, how that happens. Is there one that's gonna, is there one that's gonna win or is it, do you, so obviously Tinder's the top right now, but do you see, um, you know, this. Do you see one coming out on top and staying there or is it going to be just sort of how much of the market can you chop off? And if there is going to be one that's going to win or even not, what is it that it's going to take to win in, in the online dating game? I mean, I really hate cliched answers, but I have to <laughs> give you one, which is, I mean, Tinder is by far number one today. Yeah. I walked into that. I didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and again, I think, largely on the basis of an incredible original innovation and product market fit. And then they created the great business model with Tinder plus and gold um, in 2016, 2017 uh, that created the business that it is today. The product market fit so strong, it has skipped generations and now becomes something mm. that everybody's using as number one in over a hundred countries for every generation. Like with anything, right? If Nike hadn't kept innovating, I'm sure somebody else would be Nike today, but they kept innovating that they weren't, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, we, you and I have seen that in many different categories, Spotify with Apple Music, um, Facebook and MySpace, Google, which, I mean, they're literally, if you go back to the Yahoo designs on that homepage, it was, yeah. It, they put a Google search box next to it with a link to Google. Brilliant move. Yeah, uh, just yeah. kidding. So if we yeah. don't listen to, to customers and, and deliver for them, and innovate on their behalf, then you can lose. If we can do that, then, and, and listen to them, as, especially as people change and generations change or coming out of COVID. And I really do think that 
one of the things that I can bring to the table is taking the governors off and actually just pushing mm-hmm. the envelope of, of innovating better and faster. You know, that's what I yeah. love to do. And um, there's just a lot more that we can do. And I think you're going to see it from us. The thing that usually takes out an incumbent is a threat they saw, not from right in front of them, but that's something that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And so great. Yeah. It's talked about. Yeah. So I wonder for you what that could be. And I'm starting to think maybe it is like these little universes that people hang out in mentioned the Fortnite thing a couple of times, a couple of times. Another thing, um, I'm curious if you've heard this, that Scott Galloway friend of the podcast has brought up is maybe Peloton creates a dating app where you're already using the product and you have, uh, you know, an affinity for like working out and being fit. And maybe you want to meet other people who are in the same area as that. So, or same mindset as that. So I'm curious what you think about those versus like saying, Oh, how are we going to beat bubble? Yeah. Look, I, I, first of all, Peloton's awesome. I have one. I go back to IEC days with John Foley, who's the founder. We both worked there together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it would be very hard for a company that's, first of all, I heard this great Steve Jobs quote that he said to Jeff Ralston one time after they had bought their company. He's like, whatever it was, they wanted to add all these things. And he goes, you people think you can do everything. <laughs> like you mm. have to choose. And look at Facebook dating. I mean, theoretically, that could take off. But like, it's, it's not so easy to focus and deliver something dedicated that is... Yeah. Uh, even if it's related but different uh, than what you do, like and even go back to Google. I mean, they've they pretty much have gone after almost every vertical in the history of the internet and tried to do it. The things that work best for Google are utilities, right? Even mm. Maps is a utility. Like that is what they're great at. They can do that, do it at scale. Uh, machines can go to work, <laughs> um, but they really haven't directly threatened other than owning the traffic f- flow to people in, in verticals. And I think, I think. Uh, our expertise and our and our history and experience taken together, we can't do everything either, and we won't. Right. Uh, but connecting people for that spark is something that we do better than anybody else. It's not easy. It's expensive, and mm-hmm. history matters in, in understanding how to do it really well. And I think brands matter, right? So if we take our eye off the ball from a branding point of view, uh, and I do, I also have a new CMO by the way. <laughs> um, which we're not going to do, then people can come in that way too. So anyway, look, I really believe in only the paranoid survive like big time. Yeah. So we will, we are not going to ever relax uh, and we'll keep our eye on everything. But if we listen to this user base, uh, we'll be fine. And if we don't listen to them, we're hosed. I mean, I think it's pretty, I think it comes down to that. Totally. When it comes to listening to the user base, do you have to think about the trade-off that you're going to make between user experience and making money? Uh, so t- Tinder, I think, used to be like a fairly simple interface. Now you mentioned, I think, Tinder Plus and Gold. Uh, there's all these different things that you can end up, you know, paying for. Sometimes, you know, companies go down that route, and uh, it takes like a free product and you know gloats it with all these, you know, pay type of things. I think that's especially happened in the online dating world, and ends up. Uh, you know, diluting the user experience to the point where it opens the door for someone else. So do you think about that? And how do you consider the trade-offs between making money and user yeah, experience? I mean, I mean I'm thinking that also with the uh, big technology, how many ads do I put in before people start tuning out? So, but sorry, go ahead. Well, the way, so yeah. I drew this a long time ago because in the search industry, <laughs> yeah, I remember this was at a time when you would shade the ads and mm-hmm. you know, the FTC would get involved if you didn't, call it out a certain way. Now the ads have no shading and you don't know what's what. Mm. Um, But we always knew that there was a difference between maximizing and optimizing revenue, right? And and those lines would cross at a certain point. If you just made as much money as possible, there's an impact to the user experience and then people don't come back Mm -hmm. and you have no one to monetize. It's the same thing for however many minutes of a half an hour that you'll monetize in streaming for the ad-based model. Uh, and then you know that in freemium, and that's how we invented CBSL Access was freemium. We had 40 million users a month watching mm-hmm. the last five episodes for free. We're like, well, wouldn't you know, 10% or 20% of those people pay us a monthly subscription to get more and you know, not have mm-hmm. ads would be a part of that. So you know, we run a very at Tinder a very simple uh, freemium model. I think three tiers of subscriptions, and you get more with each tier. 
similar to I had an ad-free tier and a tier with ads and, and streaming. Um, freemium subscription models, I think, are some of the mo- easiest and most straightforward models on online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the good news is you actually don't change what you do to deliver it, right? You just have to try and create more value. And, and, and it w- works itself out. So I actually feel pretty good about being in this model. <laughs> yeah. Has anything, so it's interesting coming from your position, you were working in content, moving now to subscription, yeah. dating. Um, has anything su- changed, uh, has anything surprised you about making that move over? Like in terms of like the types of decisions you make or what it's like to even run a company doing something like this? Or does it have lots of parallels? Believe it or not, I would argue, I look, I've only done consumer internet for, you know, for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the only major transition that happened was web to mobile, right? That changed a lot. And then for me, it was that to OTT, which became 80, you know, 80% of our, almost 90% of our volume started coming straight back from the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than those shifts, what I would say is, believe it or not, Consumer apps have way more in common than they do uh, different. And at the edges, it's dating. At the edges, it's streaming. It's Star Trek. You know, it's, yeah. it's NCIS or the Super Bowl. On the, back, on the back end, there's a lot that goes into it that maybe is different. Mm-hmm. Um, operating at scale, though, is, is the same. And, and I actually think if you think about, you know, Managing a consumer base, user acquisition, user retention. These are all pretty similar. Running a subscription product, pretty similar. Yeah. Um, the nuances, though, in that last 5 to 10% are very unique in terms of right. actually what makes this market different uh, from others. Um, so that's been my learning curve. And uh, mm-hmm. just everything from the jargon to actually all of your assumptions coming in. But that's, that's yeah. what's made it fun, I'd say. Yeah, there's some there's some truth to the fact that like at the I think what did you say at the extremes like the internet ends up turning into dating and content and <laughs> you've been at the top of the heap with content now yeah. you're working uh, at the top of the heap in dating and working yeah. to bring some content in so I think it's fascinating Jim you seem energized and uh, excited to be doing this work and I appreciate you stopping by and helping or letting me pick your mind and helping our listeners hear a little bit about what uh, what goes on inside. Tinder HQ. So thank you for joining. Awesome, buddy. That was fun. Super fun. Thanks to everybody for listening. As we record, we're now the number five uh, podcast in tech news in the US. So appreciate you rating and sharing the podcast. If you uh, if you enjoyed this one, maybe you can share and rate it. That would be great. If it's your first time listening, you want to subscribe. We do these conversations every Wednesday. Uh, and I think that's about it. Thank you to Nate Gawatney for doing the editing Red Circle for hosting and selling the ads. And thanks again to all of you for listening. We will see you next Wednesday.